Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. This week on Good Faith Weekly, we are wanting to talk a little bit about... (laughs) Autumn, we're all going to die. We are. The sky is falling. Trouble, trouble, trouble. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. Coronavirus is in the house now here in the United States. Evidently it is. And you know, I was reading that I guess we've had the first case that didn't come from abroad. It was maybe transmitted here in the U.S. And people are freaking out. Yeah, news broke this week that uh, one case uh, I think was uh, in Northern California right. is the particular case you're uh, mentioning. Uh, that yeah, it it showed up here on this on this side of the pond, so to speak, and looks like that uh, patient did not have any contact with anybody else who was infected with the disease, and right. so uh, it's here. And the president came on last night uh, and uh, tried. Shall we say tried? I mean, it doesn't seem like he was trying, really. I, I didn't feel any better about things, personally. Well, he attempted to quell the uh, fear of the virus and its spreading. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of f- a fear out there yeah. uh, that this thing could become um, you know, widespread. And uh, the CDC is already uh, stating warnings and uh, what not to do, what to do. Right. Uh, and it's important. Everybody needs to, to take uh, to take precautions. Don't over sure uh, react, but certainly don't underreact as well. It's just something that's really scary. Yeah, I think that's important. I think being sure that you've read up on what the symptoms are. I was listening uh, to another podcast this morning, and they were recommending things like just being sure you have things like Advil and Tylenol in your house just in case someone in your house gets sick that you're not having to go out and. Um, you know, infect other people or, you know, you already have a, a vulnerable immune system and are putting yourself at risk. So there's some ways that you can be smart. What we like to say in Oklahoma is you're going to be prepared, not mm-hmm. scared. That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, that's what I was reading uh, this morning on uh, uh, several different news outlets. And that's another thing I like to encourage our listeners to do is to really uh, rely on credible resources uh, when you're doing research and trying to understand what's going on globally with this virus. Uh, it's important to listen to the scientist uh, oh, when it comes yeah. to this this kind of stuff and, and do pay, uh, take precautions and, uh, you know, make certain to keep yourself safe. And as you said, be prepared. Yeah, absolutely. And check maybe more than one source. Absolutely. For your news. And I think that's just a pretty good general rule of life as Ag- well. Agreed. Agreed. You know, what's been fascinating to me, Autumn, about this whole corona virus and then other viruses similar to this has been not only the frequency of these viruses, but how they have been able to mutate. Mm. And it seems like there are these new viruses emerging uh, that have taken the scientists by surprise. And mm. so we're playing catch up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, kind of makes me a little bit worried about the future and hmm. how this uh, this planet that we live on, okay. uh, which is a living organism created as people of faith, we believe, by a divine uh, presence. Sure. Uh, don't want to argue about how that was done. Uh, oh, come on. Uh, it could be really fun. Get it out could our boxing be. gloves. Except I think we're probably on the same side of things. <laughs> I would think so, too. Uh, <laughs> but regardless of that, because it is a, a created living entity, 
that the world itself and the organisms uh, that live within this world are constantly evolving mm-hmm. as as humanity evolved as well. Right. And there is this uh, natural order that seems to be uh, really playing out before our eyes. Mm-hmm. And there's there's some speculation that it is uh, the earth as a living organism um, somehow trying to defend itself from aggressors, which hmm. would be it's humanity. It's kind of beautiful, though. You know, it really is, to be quite honest with you. It demonstrates uh, all of God's creation living in a symbiotic uh, existence mm-hmm. and the importance of maintaining that symbiotic existence. Yara Moltmann, a great, great European scholar. Spell that? Uh, M. Altman. Okay. <laughs> M- Maltman. Okay, sorry, I just couldn't Maltman. quite. I wasn't quite there. <laughs> uh, you're a Maltman, uh, a wonderful You're theologian. a Maltman. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you're a Mal- We're all a Maltman. We're all a Maltman. Uh, writes really extensively about this in his book, God and Creation, and mm. talking about the world as uh, a created organism and, and, and how man has really attempted to dominate uh, God's creation, and that is not the intent of uh, of our being upon this world and being within this world, that we were really caretakers given a responsibility by the Creator to care for this world. And if we treat it well, it treats us well. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I know it's, it's a little bit of a leap to, to try to connect uh, the coronavirus with uh, ecological or creation care, but it does make me scratch my head to see so many uh, viruses and diseases uh, begin to morph into things we haven't seen before. Global warming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mother Earth's running a little bit of a fever. Right, yeah. And she's inviting us to have that fever as well, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So at any rate, uh, for those of you out there, Make certain you do take precautions. This is very, very serious. Listen to the scientist. Uh, this is important. This is very important. Uh, so wash up. That's right. Another big news story this week, Adam. What's that? There's something going on Saturday and Tuesday of this That's week. Right. Primary time. It's the primary time. Something we all love to talk about. So who are you Politics. voting for? I'm not talking about that. <laughs> How old are you? We're not going to talk about things like that. No, we will talk about religion. And I think it's okay to talk about politics a little bit, especially as it pertains to um, to our faith and to our culture. Sure. And I feel like in our last segment, we were talking about Mother Earth as sort of being uh, the least of these. Mm-hmm. And I think when I uh, I voted yesterday because... Congratulations. Right, Way to be a good citizen. I got my sticker. That was exciting. Um when I was voting, I was really trying to think about how I could be a voice for people who may not have um, the privilege of voting or may not have the ability to vote. And so I was also voting my own conscience, but sure. was also trying to think of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had some just really perplexing conversations in the past four days, as I'm always trying to encourage people to vote. Um, and folks who, I mean, they're intelligent and who I respect saying things like, well, I don't really care, so I'm not going to vote. Mm. Or I don't like any of them, so I'm mm. not going to vote. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? 
You know, there seems to be, and there always has been to an extent, but it certainly seems uh, more recently, this spirit of disengagement Mm -hmm. that if I cannot influence or if I feel like I'm not influencing, but even probably more so if I can't control the outcome, if I can't have a guaranteed outcome, then I'm just not even going to participate. And it comes from this uh, dominionist type of mindset that we have, especially here in the West. It is always this uh, divide and conquer mentality. Hmm. It's, it's, con- it's really conquest theology is what it is. Okay. That, uh, that we have to uh, conquer and conquest and control whether that's uh, a people and mm. we have done that here in the United States sure. with the indigenous people here of America, as well as uh, the slaves that were brought in from Africa, uh, and to and, and then women, I mean, right. as well. Uh, but so there's this dominionist attitude that if we can't control it, or if we can't have a guaranteed outcome that's going to be personally beneficial to me, then I disengage from it. I, 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 yeah, it's the personal benefit. Like, mm. I don't vote for someone because of how it's going to directly correlate to my pocketbook. Right. And I just, I think that's such an individualistic way to approach something that is supposed to be a democracy. That's exactly right. And it's not, I mean, it is an, it's the most undemocratic way of thinking about the country that we live in. Mm-hmm. And then also as a person of faith, uh, it is disingenuous of me not to be engaged in the process in which uh, I am involved in and my community is involved in, whether that is a liberal democracy like we have here in the United States or another form of government Mm -hmm. uh, in another country. uh, People of faith are called to be engaged and to allow their conscience to, to dictate their actions, but they need to have a say and they need to be engaged in the system. Uh, and they need to think outside of themselves. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the love your neighbor as yourself, it's you know one of the small things, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like doing a kind of facetious face here. It's a huge part of who we are. And yeah, it just, it really boggles my mind. There's a lot of things going on um, that the different, you know, potential front runners have talked about. And I think they represent a really diverse swath of people. And I'm not saying that any one of them is the best choice. Um, I think Mm -hmm. they kind of, as a blend, if you could kind of shake them up in a smoothie shaker, we could probably come up with somebody really fantastic. Um, But there is still a choice, even if it's not the best choice. That's absolutely right. And, you know, the thing that I think we always have to remember, especially here in the United States, is that the Constitution says that this is a government uh, for the people, by the people. Mm -hmm. And we are only as good as... Uh, we are willing to engage in this system of not only governance, but also of community. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And today's guest is the famous, infamous, how would you like to be described? I guess that depends on who we're talking to. I'll, I'll, <laughs> well, we'll go ahead with infamous then. A Baptist famous in, in some circles and a very small, narrow network of Baptists, I guess. There you go. And this is Stephen Reeves. Yeah, Stephen is the Associate Coordinator for Advocacy and Partnerships with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship out of Atlanta, Georgia. And Stephen, glad you're with us today. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be a part of the podcast. Absolutely. Well, 
First question is, what in the heck is advocacy? We hear that a lot in today's uh, culture, whether that's faith-based or whether people are working on different social issues. But uh, how does uh, uh, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship define advocacy? That's great. I think advocacy at its very most basic level is speaking out on behalf of and alongside others. So it is raising your voice, uh, using your uh, kind of a steward, being a good steward of your voice and your public witness and your uh, political power to make a situation better for someone else or a community. And there's a lot of ways to go about that. Um, I think we oftentimes think of kind of the political process and the political systems. And that's certainly kind of a very mm-hmm. traditional advocacy like lobbying and that sort of thing. But uh, there are other ways to go about uh, advocacy as well. There's folks who uh, advocate for changes of uh, corporate practices. And then there's people who advocate for uh, changes to political systems in different ways between kind of the inside lobbying and public policy type work to protest and in um, the, more civil disobedience and that sort of thing. So I think, you know, at its core, it's, it's, it's using your voice on behalf of others. Uh, but how you go about that can be very different. You know, one of the things that I really leaped out to, to, to me, I was looking at uh, cbf.net, your website, uh, on the advocacy part of it. And, you know, one of the things that was really interesting is that CBF advocacy is both individual and uh, systemic. Uh, Absolutely. What, what a t- kind of... Uh, define that a little bit more for us. Yeah. So, you know, at CBF, we like to really root our advocacy and our mission efforts uh, mm-hmm. in the mission of both the, the local church and the mission efforts of our global field personnel. So we're, you know, an organization that's been around uh, of over 27 years and have a long history of mission work in communities across the world. And our field personnel, our missionaries, are advocates all the time for the communities that they are in. And sometimes that's individual advocacy. That is helping an individual, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, a refugee in Raleigh, North Carolina might need some help with translating or, or finding their way to a doctor or the systems in here. And that's being an advocate kind of on an individual level. And that's a, a model that has been central to CBF as we've yeah, sure. gone on through the years. I think what we're trying to say in, in our, some of our new advocacy efforts is, is start there, start with that work and think system wide as well. So sort of make that leap from, from individual and charity and mission to system and advocacy and justice. Great. It sounds like you guys are really rooted in kind of that authentic boots on the ground. It's not people trying to mission at folks, but really trying to grow folks into being able to be um, an advocate along with you for others, helping them out of that situation. Absolutely. We really want to root our advocacy in the experience of folks in the communities. You know, we want to encourage our churches to get outside their four walls and be active in their community. And as they do so, and they might encounter populations or communities that their voice, lending their voice to, would, would really improve the situation. And so um, we, we're encouraging folks uh, to be advocates, not on their own behalf, but on behalf of others, uh, sure. not out of self-interest. And so, uh, you know, oftentimes you hear folks make that distinction between self-interest and, and on behalf of others talking about being a voice for the voiceless, which is a biblical phrase and certainly is, is something we, uh, it's a good way to distinguish it from self-interest, but we also know people have voices. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time is people's voices are ignored or silenced. And so how can we step in and not only shed light on the situation with our voice, but, uh, 
pull up a seat to the table or pass the mic or make sure that their voices are heard in their immediate situation. Yeah. I'm going to give them a megaphone. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Now I got a question for you because part All of right. this uh, uh, mission of yours is to seek to promote civility, respect, and integrity. Now, That's come on, come order. on, Stephen. I mean, who are you fooling? Look at That's the, right. the political know, climate um, today. How are you doing that? You're looking for a unicorn, right? It is crazy. Stephen this is rubbing day. his forehead. I am, I am. <laughs> so, for two reasons. One, it's, it seems like a really tall order to expect Christians to act Christian. Right, exactly. Get uh, it, totally get it. <laughs> when they move to the public square, because our models, I'd say, currently and for maybe the past 30 years are often that those Christians that have the loudest voices in the public square don't act very Christian. There you right. go. Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to talk about a different and better way. I would say civility is a two edged sword. However, mm. um, we think we ought to be respectful, um, but we should not allow the term civility to be used to try and tamper down the passions and ignore the voices of those who have maybe haven't had access to power and haven't had um, uh, any other way, but maybe to get in civil uh, and uncivil in order to have their uh, needs addressed. Obviously Dr. King uh, many times by the white moderate uh, folks at the time was told to be civil and don't, don't make so much fuss. And that's not what we're talking about. We're yeah. talking about right. one-on-one interactions and how do you, uh, apply the golden rule to politics, for example, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to try and uh, treat others as you'd want to be treated. And I think uh, civility is part of that, uh, but it's also uh, you have to be cautious with using that language. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like you know advocacy, especially from a theological viewpoint, can be prophetic. Uh, that it's when it's done in a uh, a passionate voice, but also a rational voice. Uh, Advocacy can certainly be prophetic to uh, promote societal change at large. Uh, And I think CBF has been doing that uh, very well recently. Well, thank you. We're trying. Um, I think the type of advocacy we're promoting is is somewhat slow. That grassroots, community-based, experiential advocacy is slow. Um, And, um, yeah, I think that um, prophetic is a good word for it, um, Mm -hmm. that – and I think in some ways the way we're going about it is countercultural and uh, that applies to the right and the left where sometimes the, the so-called Christian right will be um, not very Christian and not applying we, things we would say uh, it seems central to the gospel. And sometimes more progressive folks come off so strident and so angry that it's not actually changing the hearts and minds of people it needs to change. And so, um, it's a balancing act, but yeah, prophetic is, is definitely part of it. Uh, so we've got a couple more minutes left, uh, Stephen, for the interview. Um, what uh, are some of the issues that uh, CBF and CBF churches are advocating for these days? Absolutely. Well, I think a lot of folks are very concerned about the situation with immigrants and refugees mm, and absolutely. asylees on our border. Um, we have many, many churches uh, who have gone down to the border, particularly in Texas, and seen the crisis that's been created by public policy, that's been created by administrative decisions. Um, Obviously, folks are fleeing terrible uh, situations, but we have not, uh, we have, we have made it worse. Our, by our government's decisions have made it worse. And so Mm -hmm. there's a, that, that to me uh, pulls on our mission hearts of wanting to Mm -hmm. go and be helpful and do what we can. 
and also calls for advocacy. And so that's something that's been very immediate in the last several years. Uh, our global missions, one of the main contexts, one of the three contexts we work in is global migration. So that could be Sub-Saharan Africa, that could be Southeast Asia, and that can be Northern Virginia and North Carolina and the Texas border. So we're going to be committed to, to issues around uh, refugees and immigrants. And that's been key. The other really thing we've put a lot of attention and kind of become a national leader on around issues of predatory lending. Yeah. Yeah. And auto title loans are essentially just traps for folks yep. that, uh, mm-hmm. looking for a little help to get through and mm-hmm. end up in a loan that costs them thousands and thousands of dollars um, of interest rates of 400%. And so that again is rooted in the experience of some of our churches where they had members or community members come to them looking for help with a light bill only to find out they need help with that bill because they're paying fees and interest over and over and over again. Modern day debtors prison. It is absolutely um, uh, shackles. uh, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They know the folks who give those loans know that. And so we need to return to a place where usury is understood as immoral, even for poor folks. And it's my understanding, Stephen, and really you're the one that educated me on this. Uh, There is a, a very intensive and large, uh, strategy to promote these payday lending companies to get legislation passed uh, on a state level uh, to kind of free free them to charge as much as they want. Yeah, to protect them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Historically, usury, first of all, was understood as a moral wrong. That's really it's it's just flat out wrong to take advantage of somebody when they're. Um, when they're desperate and vulnerable. And so most states across the country had very strict usury laws. What has happened over the last 30 years or so is one by one uh, industry and their campaign contributions and their lobbyists and their lawyers have come in and either found loopholes or just repealed these usury laws and allow for rates that were are unconscionable and used to be illegal. Yeah, And that's how they've spread. And sadly yeah. it's happened in a lot of places where, uh, Baptists and other Christians have a lot of political power and they're just not paying attention or uh, hopefully it's not that they don't care. Well, come on. Capitalism is our real religion. And you get to talking about the ideology of the market and, and yeah. ideolo- idolizing the free market and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. You, you, uh, you get into some pretty root issues of right, how, how we operate pretty quickly. And, and I think uh, we do this work alongside a lot of folks from left to right. And I have a friend with the Southern Baptist ERLC I've worked with on this issue for a long time. He's mm-hmm. right there with me. And his argument yeah. is, if you love capitalism, you got to stop these kind of abuses. Otherwise, people are going to throw the whole thing out. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it really right. does get to some core issues. I'm sure it does. Operate. I'm sure it does. Yeah. So you educate as well uh, congregations, individuals. Uh, to engage in advocacy. I know you have a big event every year uh, inviting people to come to not only teach them about advocacy, but let them actually engage in advocacy. Absolutely. So real briefly, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Advocacy in Action is our annual event, usually in March, typically in Washington, D.C., where uh, we gather with folks who also feel committed and called to advocacy as part of their Christian witness and to think and, and think deeply and pray and, and study about this. Um, and then meet other Christians in the, in DC who are doing this sort of work, like folks at the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty and Bread for the World. Oh, and yeah, other organizations. great organizations. Yeah, 
yeah, partner organizations that have been CBF partners a long time, learn how they go about this work. And then absolutely make sure that folks, we have a, have a meeting on the schedule for them to go meet with their members of the House of Representatives or Senate uh, and make sure they do that. Because I think for so many people, it's an issue of fear and intimidation that they can't actually go do this. Yeah, sure. Right. And what we need are more people of faith uh, to understand not only can they, but when pastors and other church members show up and say, my congregation is watching and we care about this and we want to engage with you, um, it makes a difference. It does make a difference. And I've been on one of those trips before uh, working along with Stephen, and it is quite an experience to walk into a congressman or senator's office and to be able to talk with them uh, personally or with one of their aides. You really do feel like you're part of the democratic process mm-hmm. uh, and you do have a voice and someone is listening. I think Autumn's got a question for you. I do. Yeah. So we um, are going to be closing out our interview sections with a question all right. um, to kind of have a common thread through all of these. And, you know, our mission at Good Faith Media, or not mission, it is our mission. There's more to tell. That's kind of our, our motto line, our catchphrase. So um, we're going to hand you our podium for just a minute, and you tell us what you think needs to be told. What is your more to tell? Wow, that's a b- great question, a big question. Um, it can be silly. It can be um, <laughs> something from your mission. Like the answer isn't Jesus necessarily. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. It can be. It's always Jesus. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I would think uh, kind of piggybacking off that last statement around um, engaging, uh, you know, what I hope for folks when they think about advocacy and, and public witness and what we're doing at CBF is uh, we're trying to promote courage. Uh, we think folks, oh, nice. if this can be, I know this can feel um, intimidating or scary or, or divisive, mm-hmm. but we, uh, we want some courageous folks to be rooted in their faith and be active and engaged. And so I think that's uh, what we need right now from our churches. Well, Stephen Reeves, Associate Coordinator for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, Responsibilities, Advocacy, and Partnerships. It's been great to have you on Good Faith Weekly, and uh, there is certainly more to tell. Thanks, and have a great week. Bye, Stephen. Thanks, everybody.